This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. This morning, if you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. And uh, there's a lot of scriptures and a lot of things that need to be said that I believe will help you to understand why Israel is in such a controversy today all over the world. I'm going to try my best to give you scriptures, why that exists, how it got started even to begin with. And so there is a lot of information, a lot of God's word that I'd like for you. I would pray that you'd be like a spiritual sponge and just soak it all up. When I was working on my doctorate degree, one of the classes that I took was called eschatology. And to make it simple for you, the word eschatology simply means the study of things to come. When I took that class, when I was working on that phase of my scholastic degrees, I fell in love with eschatology. It's been a passion, but it didn't start when I was beginning uh, that part of my education. I really became passionately involved in things to come eschatology back in 1988 when I went to Israel for the very first time. Some of you are getting ready to go with me in just a couple of weeks, and I'll be leading a Bible study tour there. But that's probably where my passion first was ignited when I had the opportunity to go. Now today, I've really almost lost track how many times I've taken groups with me. Several of you have been with me before. But having that experience and to see things in the Holy Land has pretty much made my Bible become three-dimensional. Because whenever I stand and speak God's word to you, for an example, I could open my Bible and say, let's look at Matthew chapter 4 this morning. And we get to a place in that scripture and it says, and Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee. My preaching on those kind of verses have never been the same for having seen those places with my own eyes. It's an incredible experience. And so I was birthed and born in a passion for things to come, eschatology, Bible prophecy, back in the land of Jesus, just as a young preacher. And uh, then through working on my doctorate degree, I had to go through a course of this, and it just opened up another world for me. And I put both of those experiences together, and I feel that I'm very capable of giving you some information in the Word concerning prophecy that will help you, I believe, to be drawn a little closer to the subject. Because the bottom line in all of the prophecy is this. He's coming. His coming is soon. I like to remind you of that very often. I think it would be good for us to pray 
very often. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And so this morning, I'm going to be reading for you, first of all, in Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 3. And I want to remind you of something, that God uses Bible prophecy to prove he is who he said he was, or prove he is who he said he is, to authenticate it. And to authenticate all of the warnings and all of the promises and prophecy. So keep that in mind. There's a purpose why God has given it to us. And so this morning we're talking about God's covenant with Israel. And so we look at Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1 through 3. I want you to follow along with me, if you will, please. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee. And curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. The land of Palestine has been one of the most controversial places on the planet. One of the most controversial places in the history of the world. In fact, there has never been a place, geographically speaking, in all of the world that has not been so controversial. And by the way, it's not going to get any better. I'm so thankful that we do now have the embassy in Jerusalem, but I will tell you that will not soften prophecy, what is destined to happen according to the word of God. In fact, the Bible declares that. I want you to see a scripture in Zechariah chapter 12, and I'm going to read for you verses 2 through 3. The prophet said, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. And that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. And so today indeed... Israel is a cup of trembling and a burdensome stone, just like the prophet declared. And so in this very first message pertaining to God's covenant with Israel, to understand Israel and Bible prophecy, we've got to begin by taking a very close encounter, a very close look at the land that Israel sets upon. 
this is important. We have to understand where Israel is and what God has declared about it. I want to give you just a few things to think about when you're wondering just how big is Israel. Israel's a small country. It's about 8,000 square miles. This country could fit in the state of Florida eight times. The country. It's 263 miles from north to south, and it's between 9 and 71 miles from east to west. Israel is just slightly smaller than the state of New Jersey. And we're talking about a country. And so I want you to think about this because as Israel is in fact a very small country surrounded by others and very hostile people, after 1900 years of living as refugees around the world, in 1948, Israel was restored once again back to her homeland. We'll talk about that in just a very short moment. But not without great and ongoing controversy. That's been happening in the Holy Land, the Promised Land, for centuries. And it was foretold by the prophets as well. In our lifetime... Now, there are scriptures, and we may get to it in the prophecy series, when the disciples asked, Lord, when shall these things be? And they were concerned, and they were very interested in end times. And we may cover some of those scriptures and give you the answer. But in our lifetime, and I've mentioned this real often in the last several weeks, especially in our Wednesday night series, that we right now are living in what is called the Laodicean age. Which, when you consider the seven church ages, Laodicean is the last of them. There's an age which pertains to the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, which is called the Philadelphia age. But right now, we are living in what is called the Laodicean. The word Laodicean means the rights of of the people. And it seems as though that we are being power washed, brainwashed, we're being overtaken in many different ways, coming down to this subject of the rights of the people in the times that we live right now. All the chaos that we see from time to time in the streets. We see buildings burning and people looting and people shoving. Can you imagine shoving an elderly man in the pathway of a, a train in the subway? We're living in barbaric times. And there is a lot of movements in our country and around the world today that there are more rights given to the perpetrators than people who are the actual victims. 
And all of that is centered and saturated around what is called the rights of the people, the Laodicean age. It was prophecy foretold, and now it's right before our eyes. In our lifetime, and I want you to think about it, we have lived to see one of the greatest prophecies fulfilled. I mean, one of the greatest Bible prophecies fulfilled. You and I have lived to see it ourselves. And that was when Israel became a nation. The prophecy of this happening was foretold by the prophet Isaiah 740 years before the birth of Christ. And in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse number 8, I want to read this scripture for you. The Bible says, who hath heard such a thing? Now again, this is prophecy. 740 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied this. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. This is talking about, this is the prophecy of the nation of Israel becoming a nation in one day. And the prophet Isaiah, he prophesied that it would happen. And I will tell you that on May 14th, 1948, God made good on that prophecy. He made good on that promise. I want to read something for you, and I quote this verbatimly. Because as the General Assembly of the United Nations read these words to the world, I want you to understand the significance and the weight upon it. This is what they said. May 14th, 1948, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. This right is the natural right of the Jewish people to be masters of their own fate like all other nations in their own sovereign state accordingly. We are assembled here, and by virtue of our natural and historic right, and on the strength of the General Assembly of the United Nations, hereby declare the establishment of the Jewish state in Etretz, Israel, to be known as the State of Israel. And while that declaration was being proclaimed, 6,000 miles away, President Harry Truman sat in the Oval Office and approved it, and he was one of the first people that made the phone call to recognize Israel as a state, as a nation. And so the thing is this, God made good on this promise 740 years before Jesus was ever born in Bethlehem of Judea. Even in the midst of all of the hostilities and the aggressions and the wars and the lurking of wars and the persecution and the endless and fruitless debates, broken peace treaties, and all kinds of commotion that has tried to disassemble that, listen carefully, the existence of Israel today is the number one evidence of facts that the Bible and its prophecy has been and will be fulfilled. 
all the way back from Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, when the word of God prophesied the coming of the Savior. And then the word later on prophesied that Jesus would be born from a virgin in Bethlehem of Judea. The word of God prophesied that Jesus would go to a cross. Isaiah wrote it again so well. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The Bible prophecies are true, and they have all come to pass because God's integrity hangs upon it, hinges upon it. And so I want you to listen very carefully this morning. These prophecies of Old Testament have all come to pass. And according to the Bible and biblical prophecy, and Israel's rebirth as a nation, as a sovereign nation, those particular things set in motion the rest of all of the other end-time events that would soon follow past them. And so to understand the significance, this is important, to correctly understand the significance of May 14th, 1948, and what is happening today and what is prophesied to be happening in the near future, we've got to understand God's covenant with Israel. We have to do that. It's a deep subject. I realize that. But it's important that I give it to you, and I hope and pray that you will try to grasp and wrap yourself around as much of this as you possibly can. It goes all the way back to Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I'm not going to take the time to reread that this morning. I've already done it, but I want you to have it in your thoughts because in this book of beginnings, Genesis, the book of beginnings, 11 chapters in this great book deals with creation, the fall of man, human history, all the way up to Abraham. And that's important. And the rest of the book, the rest of the 41 chapters that appear, it deals with Abraham and his descendants. And so in our text today, we find God promising Abraham four specific things. Follow along with us in the bulletin. It'll help you as well. Number one, God promised Abraham that he would be blessed. Number two, God promised Abraham that his name would be great. Number three, he said in that promise that he would be a blessing to all of the families upon the earth. And by the way, those blessings include the written word of God. I say include. Include the written word of God and the living word of God, which was Jesus the Messiah that would come. Now, also in this promise, number four, God said to Abraham that he would bless those who blessed them and he would curse those who cursed him. That's very important because of this. And this is where we start getting the focus on, on the prophecy. Because of this, it's never in anyone's best interest to oppose the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. It's never been in the best interest of America to do that, yet we do have some politicians and some kooky groups that want to ostracize God's chosen people. But I assure you, and those watching and those listening, I assure you that it's never, ever a good thing to oppose 
God's chosen people. In fact, the word says this in Psalms chapter 122 and verse number six, the Bible says to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, they shall prosper that love thee. Now, we have to accept because it's in the word of God that the Jewish people are indeed God's chosen people. We have to acknowledge that part, I believe firmly that part of America's blessing because America does have a blessing upon it when you look at our godly heritage. And so when you think about the blessing that has been placed upon America, we have to acknowledge that part of America's blessing from God is in no doubt the result of our standing with Israel ever since it became a nation. And the control, now listen, the control of the land of Palestine or ancient Canaan, we refer to it much today as the promised land. It's the most volatile place and issue and political debate all around the world. I quote, millions of people in countries of this world want to see either Israel to continue continue to give up large portions of land or to be wiped off of the face of the earth and to become non-existent. But if you don't know this by now, you need to learn it today. Again, the vigorous hostility towards the nation of Israel is that surrounding countries would love nothing more than for Israel to give up some more land. And, and I will tell you, they've already given up significant portions of land. This is so important. People may wonder, why, why doesn't Israel just keep giving up land? And I gave you just a few moments ago the, the specifications of how this little country fits in a place uh, where you could put it in the state of Florida eight times. Think about this little country. And people wonder, why doesn't Israel cooperate why, why don't they just continue to give up their land and pray for peace? Well, let me say this, that Israel has already given up land. They've given up the Gaza Strip, which is, by the way, in the area of the tribe of Judah. They have already given up Bethlehem. They have already given up Jericho. And so they have already given up large, very significant portions of land. This is what God's rejecting people fail to realize that we go back to the scriptures on everything we believe as believers. This Bible, listen, it's a roadmap for our life. It's a compass for our life. We live our lives as believers according to the word of God. And it's, it's impossible for you to be a believer and not believe this is God's word. And so everything God has said in his word, he means. And every promise he's made, he'll keep. That's very significant. And the promise of the land goes all the way back to Genesis 12. God decided, listen carefully, way back in the beginning of his dealings with Abraham and men, God decided that he was going to deed the land. And this is huge. That he would deed the land to Israel and I promise you, God has no intentions of ever canceling out 
that deed and that promise he has made to his chosen people. I promise you that the Jews are in the land today to stay. Now the Arabs, they want the land that does not belong to them. In fact, go with me to Genesis 12, 7. They will get as many of these scriptures on the screen as they can as we go through this. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. So I want us to look very carefully and closely this morning with God's covenant with Israel. And I want to answer a couple of questions for you that maybe some of you have thought about or maybe some of you have been asked and you just didn't know how to answer the question. The first one is this, and understanding God's covenant with Israel is why, in some fact, somebody just asked me this question the other day. Pastor, why did God choose the Jews to be his chosen people? Why did he do that? The answer, part of it is in Amos chapter 3 and verse number 2. And the scripture says this, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Okay, again, preacher, I get that scripture, but why the Jews? Why did he pick them to be his chosen people? I want us to go through the process of elimination just for a moment. Look at Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. In fact, it will probably be best for you to reference the remaining scriptures on the screen because we're going to be going so fast now at this point. And I believe that most of them are on your bulletin. You will not lose them. But you do perhaps uh, want to make some footnotes on it or something else to write on. But in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse number 7, Let's go. Why did God choose the Jews? Let's go through the process of elimination just for a minute. The Lord did not choose them because they were more numerous than all of the other people on the earth. And the Bible clears that up in Deuteronomy 7, 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. For ye were fewest of all people. And then number two, God did not choose the Jewish people to be his chosen people because they were the only group of people who were diligently, honestly, truthfully seeking him. In fact, in Isaiah 45, verse number four, the Bible clears that up for us. The word says, for Jacob's my servant's sake and Israel mine elect, I have surnamed thee. Though thou hast not known me. Now look at that. Isaiah said, God chose you not because you have known him, not because you were seeking him. Well, that complicates it a little bit. God picked these people to be his chosen people. Why, preacher? Well, they weren't vast in numbers, and they weren't people seeking him. And then number three, it's not because the Jewish people were righteous. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, they'll get these scriptures up for you quickly. 
Understand, therefore, that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness. For thou art a stiff-necked people. Remember and forget not how thou provokest the Lord thy God in the wilderness from the day that thou didst depart out of the land of Egypt until you came into this place, ye have been rebellious against the Lord. So the Lord is saying, I didn't pick you to be my chosen people because you were the biggest group of people on the earth, because you were the biggest crowd of people that were seeking me, or because you were the most religious, righteous people on the earth. I want you to think, so we can conclude, why did God pick the Jewish people to be his chosen people? If we have gone through the process of elimination and eliminate all of the logical aspects to this, we can only conclude that God chose Abraham and his descendants because of his personal own sovereign will. That means this. I don't know why, but he chose to do it. And he has every right to do it. And that's what he did. Secondly, this morning, we have to acknowledge God's covenant with Israel, his promise, and it's twofold. First of all, it was an exact covenant. So, some of what I'm going to share with you in the scripture right now may shock you. But when you assemble it together to the controversy that wraps itself around Israel today, it will probably help you understand a little bit better. But the covenant that God made with Israel, it was precise. It was exact. In fact, Genesis 15, verse 18, the Bible says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I give this land. Look Now, boundaries are important here right now. What we're going to be talking about at this point, forward as fast as I can deliver it to you, deals with the boundaries of land. So pay attention, if you will, please. From the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. And by the way, I don't know how many of you have been keeping track with Bible prophecy, but the, uh, the river Euphrates, in order for the people of the north to come, China, Russia, Turkey, all of these advanced hostile nations against Israel in the latter days have got to cross the Euphrates River to get to Israel to do that. And the Euphrates River is drying up like a dry riverbed today. And that's a prophecy we'll talk about maybe later. But I want you to look at this now. It was an exact covenant. Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 13 through 23. Let me read it for you. Thus saith the Lord God, this shall be the border. So keep in mind, God's covenant with Israel. He gave Israel some land, the holy land, the land of Canaan. And he gave them four corners. He gave them boundaries to what their land would be. Now again, God gave them this land. God made the deed out to them. And he has no intention of canceling it out. Thus saith the Lord God, this shall be the border, whereby you shall inherit the land according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Joseph shall have two portions, and ye shall inherit it as one as well as another, concerning the which I lift up my hand to give it to your fathers. And this land shall fall into you for inheritance. 
And this shall be the border of the land toward the north side, from the great sea, the way of Hethlon, as men go to Zadad, Hamath, Baroth, Sibaran, which is between the border of Damascus and the border of Hamath, Hezekotan, which is by the coast of Haran, and the border from the sea shall be Hazaran, the border of Damascus, and the northward, and the border of Hamath, and this is the north side. And the east side shall measure from Haran, from Damascus, and from Gilead, and from the land of Israel by Jordan, from the border unto the east sea. And this is the east side, and the south side southward from Tamar, even the waters of strife of Kadesh, the river to the great sea. And this is the south side. The west side also shall be great from the border till a man come over against Hamath. This is the west side. So shall ye divide this land unto you according to the tribes of Israel. And it shall come to pass that you shall divide it by lot for inheritance unto you and to the strangers that sojourn among you, which shall beget children among you. And they shall be unto you as born in the country among the children of Israel. They shall have inheritance with you among tribes of Israel. And it shall come to pass that in what tribe the stranger sojourneth, there shall you give him his inheritance, saith the Lord. So it's very clear in Scripture God was making known what the borders of their land would be. But because of man-made controversies, listen carefully, because of man-made controversies, Israel does not right now, nor has Israel ever fully possessed all of the land that God gave them. That's never happened. But I promise you this, that God's fulfillment to his covenant with Israel will be fulfilled. It is coming. Now listen very carefully because this is a scary thought, but it's, it's reality. If Israel decided today that they were going to go back to biblical borders and they were going to take all the land that God promised Abraham and they were going to live in their inheritance if Israel possessed all of that land in the covenant today, it would mean this. It would mean that Israel would have to occupy not only Israel, but also Lebanon, the West Bank, Jordan, and portions of Syria, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. All of those countries all of them put together geographically from corner to corner, border to border, that makes up the promised land. That makes up what God's covenant was to Israel. Now you can maybe understand why Israel does not enjoy the full benefit of God's blessing, God's covenant that he made. And, and it's very important. I want you to think about what would happen if Israel wanted to go back to biblical boundaries and reclaim all of that. But it's coming. It's coming in the day of the Lord. It's going to happen. Not only was it an exact covenant, but it's also an everlasting covenant. In Genesis 17, verse 7 through 8, the word says, And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed 
after thee in their generation, look at this, for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now the word everlasting in this passage of Scripture is just as everlasting as the word everlasting in John 3.16. God never does anything temporarily, never does anything halfway. When David said, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever meant forever. An everlasting covenant to Israel means an everlasting covenant. God has no intention to cancel out the deed. It's going to come. It's going to happen. Number three, quickly, we have to consider the scattering of Israel. Why did God, if he gave them this land, why did God move in such a way that he scattered his chosen people all over the earth? Why did he remove them from the land? Well, there are reasons for that, and I want to give them to you very quickly, as fast as I can. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24, look at on the screen here. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. And thou shalt beget children and children's children, and ye have remained long in the land, and shall corrupt yourselves and make graven images or likeness of anything, and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God to provoke him to anger. God said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that ye shall soon utterly perish from off of the land. Whereunto you go over Jordan to possess it, ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. And the Lord, look at this, the Lord shall scatter you among the nations. That means all over the world. And ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whether the Lord shall lead you. God also said this in Ezekiel chapter 12 and verse number 15. Read it on the screen. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I shall scatter them among the nations and disperse them in the countries. And in one more, Hosea chapter 9 and verse number 17. My God will cast them away because they did not hearken unto him and they shall be wanderers among the nation. And so why were the Jews driven out of their land and scattered all over the world? It's because when Israel failed to heed God's warnings, when they decided to disobey him in numerous ways, when they decided that they were going to become rebellious people, God said, okay, that's it. I'm not going to renege on the borders. But what I will do, if you disobey me, I will scatter you all over the world. But my covenant is everlasting. What I've given you, I've given you. But when you get sideways with me, when you begin to seek other gods, God said, I'm going to pluck you out of the land. I'm going to disperse you out of the land because of your rebellion and your disobedience. And we can also see that that was a prophecy fulfilled as well. And not only, God said, not only would there be a scattering but God included suffering as well. This is an ancient old question, and it goes back to World War II. 
And we could talk about other situations, but why God's chosen people, why did he allow them to be tortured in barbaric ways in the Holocaust? By the way, the Holocaust was real. Don't let anybody ever try to tell you that it was fake, it was phony, it didn't happen. It did happen. Well, preacher, if, if the Jewish people are God's chosen people, why would he allow all of the wickedness of the Nazis and, and all of the communist parties, why would he allow them to barbarically murder his people? Well, you may have wondered why the Jewish people have had to suffer so much. And again, I want you to understand this. We're talking about they have suffered persecution from the Egyptians, from the Philistines, from the Syrians, from the Arabs, from Stalin to Hitler, from Saddam Hussein, from Iraq. Listen, the answer to all of that is found in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse number 65. And it says, Among these nations shall thou find no ease, neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest, but the Lord shall give thee a trembling heart, and failing of eyes, and sorrow of mind. And that was a prophecy very much fulfilled. And so when the Lord wants to teach us a lesson, folks, I think it's important that we understand he knows how to do it. When he wants to teach us something, some of us may be living under a curse of chastisement of the Lord today, and the only thing that can reverse his chastisement is repentance. Before World War II <clears throat> in 1933, nine million Jews lived in 21 European countries. By 1945, two out of three European Jews had been murdered. And after the Holocaust, a third of the entire Jewish population had been wiped out. It was great suffering, <clears throat> but I tell you, God did not shirk at his word. He did not change his promise, and this is one of the reasons why the Holocaust took place. and was prophesied in Scripture. God not only said that he would scatter the Jewish people, this is important. He gave them the boundaries. He said, this is yours to enjoy. As long as you walk with me, serve me, you do what I say, you're going to enjoy the land of milk and honey. But the day that you become rebellious, I'm going to pluck you out and I'm going to scatter you all over the world. But God also made another promise to Israel. He said, after I scatter you and you receive the chastisement and the suffering and the sorrow, after all of that, God said this, in my mercy and my long suffering, I'm going to bring you back to the land. The land that I had promised you through Abraham, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to regather the Jews. And by the way, you need to realize that this prophecy took place of God bringing the Jewish people back to their homeland. That fulfillment of prophecy took place in our lifetime. And I believe what an incredible act of God this was. Listen to this just for a moment. Nowhere on the face of the earth can you find any of the ancient neighbors of Israel. Have you ever thought about this? Let me ask you the question. Where are the Moabites today? Where are the Perizzites? Where are the Hittites? Where are the Jebusites? Where are the Ammonites? 
Where are the Amalekites? Where are the Edomites? Where are the Philistines? All of those people, all of those hostile people have disappeared from the face of the earth. But God in his eternal plan, he has preserved his chosen people. That's incredible. And just as God promised, he regathered the Jewish people back to their homeland. And, and the regathering is still taking place today. Number five, and I want to close with this one. In God's covenant with Israel, Israel will return one day to God. In fact, it's a prophecy. Ezekiel chapter 36, they'll get these scriptures on the screen, verses 24 through 28. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. From all of your filthiness and from all of your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart will I also give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of, of, and I will put uh, my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you shall keep my statues and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and he shall be my people. You shall be my people and I will be your God. In 1948, <clears throat> 650,000 Jews were in Israel. Today, there are over 5 million Jews there living in the promise and 6 million are expected to be there by the year uh, of 2020, which we have long ago surpassed, and there are much more fleeing in there today. And so what we can be assured of in this message of God's covenant with Israel is that we're living in the final days, the end time plan of God, and we're seeing generations of people going back to their homeland and being restored, just as God says. That encourages me to encourage you, church. Listen carefully. The word says in Luke 21, 28, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draweth nigh. God has provided signs to alert his children that the end of the world is coming to a close. And Israel is sitting on the center part of the stage. Everything happening in the world today is with significant importance. And it all leads to the imminent return of the Savior. None of us know what tomorrow holds, but thank God we know as believers who hold tomorrow. Amen. Thank God for that. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.